tell me more about how his eyes look, Simon. It's almost <laughs> as if Simon enjoys being chastised by Baz or something. Like, is this how you describe your enemies? It's really not. Hot. Yeah, like, basically. <laughs> I feel like I just want to be, like, quote-unquote enemies for every time we bring up Baz. You want to get sexy? Yeah, let's get to the sexy stuff. Hello, and welcome to Escape from Reality, a podcast where two queer IRL witches read Carry On by Rainbow Rowell and talk about it. I am Lark Malachi Gray. And I am Jesse Blount, and today we are talking about only chapter 60 of this here book, in which we are so close to the moment that I think you've all been waiting for. But first, the game is afoot. Simon and Baz are going to go find some vamps, after midnight, because lol duh. In the meantime, they have a date, one which Simon mentally dances around because it involves larceny and, ba- and Baz watching him eat. For some reason, it's also important that Baz calls him by his first name because neither of these kids seem aware of pop culture tropes. Baz literally sniffs out the vampire bar, which has a fancy bar on one floor and a basement slash cavern of less fancy vampires. Here we finally find Nicodemus, minus his fangs. Baz starts asking questions, and when Nico isn't forthcoming, Simon jumps in with all the threats. We learn that Nico is some underworld broker and was approached about the attack on Watford. He declined because of Ebb and won't tell Baz who it was because it made you kill him immediately. Compulsion spells are illegal and dangerous, so that's not the route they're going to take. With nothing else, it's time to go. Baz gets the fuck out as fast as possible, magicking cars away from him with a little help from Simon. Simon keeps his hand on Baz, with the magic flowing between them like a closed circuit. Uh, not a euphemism. Baz <laughs> Baz drives into the middle of nowhere, clearly having all of the feels. He runs off into the woods, and Simon follows. Baz has lit a fuck ton of trees on fire, his suicide ideation coming to the fore as he tells Simon he's a vampire, duh, and that he's a monster. (laughs) Simon tries to talk Baz down because Baz isn't a monster, just an ignorant snob, and Simon is not going to turn his back on Baz. Cue romantic music in the background. Seriously. (laughs) Romantic music that we'll play for the next two weeks Yay! until our next episode. <laughs> <laughs> oh, all right. Before we get into it, reminder that we're spoiling everything through the end of this book, including the next two chapters, uh, but nothing from the sequels. And also, please go rate and review us because it makes us really happy, and also it helps other people decide to listen to the podcast. And now we will enter. Easy come, easy go, where we talk about everything that doesn't go anywhere else. Just LOL to Simon, because the date that him and Baz have is the only reason why Baz does not have a girlfriend. Okay. All right. (laughs) Keep telling yourself that, Simon. Oh, God. I know. It's so funny. It's also just so funny because it's like, is this... It's clear from that that this is not the first time that Simon has been like, why has why doesn't Baz have a girlfriend? You yeah. know, he's like, oh, maybe I found the answer. 
Maybe oh. this is it. <laughs> yeah. Okay, Simon. Keep 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 thinking on that on that uh on that problem on that equation. Also, that date sounds like really dreamy and like a date that I've been on a lot. I'm like, oh yeah, those were good dates. I mean, yeah, going to the library then going to go eat something. I mean, yeah. I guess minus stealing from a museum, but like honestly, I would be into that too. <laughs> But, like, library, museum, Indian food, like, that might actually be my dream date. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, actually. <laughs> <sighs> and one that I definitely went on when I was in London. So, there you, you know, go. I went probably to the same library and museum, too. So, <laughs> I mean, as much as the British Museum is deplorable, it is pretty breathtaking being there. I don't know. Yeah. Like, looking at the Rosetta Stone, I'm like, holy fuck. What? Just, it's just in a case. Just chilling there. Anyway. Yeah. Uh, Simon's observation that the vampires look like rich people is because they probably are rich people. He was like, I expected them to look different. And it's like, they just, no one's wearing a cloak and has an intense widow peak. It's just everyone's probably wearing really fancy suits and outfits. I don't know. His point of reference is Baz, who is like a stereotypical beautiful Hollywood vampire. So this is like true. I would go into that situation expecting them all to be stereotypical beautiful Hollywood vampires too. That's true. And what a letdown. <laughs> like thinking you're going to walk into a room of like fucking supermodels and then they're just people. Yeah. <laughs> like, Ugh, people in nice clothes, but, like, they're just people. (laughs) Baz is still the hottest person here. I am upset. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Uh, um, Okay, speaking of being upset about things having to do with Baz, I'm... I wrote unreasonably question mark. I can't tell if it's unreasonable or not. I am upset that Baz didn't use Make Way for the Queen as his <laughs> spell. Both because I think it's more a more commonly said thing, and because, like, come on. Yeah, missed opportunity there. He's such a missed opportunity. <laughs> it would have been such good foreshadowing, too, for, yeah. like, what's about to happen. Simon being like, wait a second. Even though Simon wouldn't clock it at all. But. Yeah, Simon wouldn't have clocked that, but... Yeah, I'm like, oh, yeah, Baz is still pretending to be heterosexual for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> uh, geez. Sorry to every one of our uh, Escape from Reality fans who have not yet watched Buffy, because I will never not mention Rainbow Rowell's... Whenever she can slip in a little bit of Buffy love in here, I will not... I will not let it go unnoticed in which one of Simon's uh, observation is that they don't look cheek bony. <laughs> <laughs> Not unlike a certain uh, Billy Idol uh, lookalike vampire from a from Buffy. <laughs> I'm just like, and also I love the word cheek bony. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <sighs> Okay, this is relevant, so I'm just going to talk about it here, even though I had it somewhere else. So, like, speaking of cheekbony, and then, like, obviously of Nico's cheekbones, there's this line that Simon says where Nico looks like a mean boy version of Ebb. And for whatever reason, no, not for whatever reason, because in the last episode we talked about how 
Nico basically is Spike, like looks like Spike. I was like, oh shit, like Eb is so hot. Like I never really put together that Eb is like a fucking babe before, but I'm like girl version of James Marsters is like, I mean, essentially, I actually was just like famous people with high cheekbones (laughs) trying to figure out. I feel like Angelina Jolie has similar cheekbones, like similar sort of like facial structure. Like imagine Eb like cleans the dirt off her face and like changes into something that's not covered in snot and like glow up of the century. (laughs) It's just like, oh shit. Yeah, wow. Even though I have to say that as a queer as a queer person, I'm like hot farmers. Yeah, that's the aesthetic that I'm also into. <laughs> yes. Uh, Same. I mean, honestly, but yeah. In terms of like other people, yeah, yeah, like yeah. reporting to us about how hot Ab is. Yeah, but yeah, for sure. Yeah, I I did have a moment where I'm like, oh, the the slick back hair. I'm like. <laughs> Rainbow Rowell, you are so transparent and I love it. I love it so much. <laughs> uh, this probably could have been somewhere else, but um just once again, Simon noticing how much better Baz looks than the other vampires as he looks like he was born to be a dark king. And I'm like, I know. he was the dark king of your heart, Simon. <laughs> that is what he was born to be. Uh, mm -hmm. (laughs) oh i'm sorry i just you said that and then i imagine baz getting simon a heart-shaped locket that's a dark king like embossed on it with a picture of baz inside and simon like you know on either side of the locket and just uh, because i don't know i just feel like i just feel like baz would do that a hundred percent. Yeah. <laughs> it would be made of just like, I don't know, platinum. You know, it'd be like, this cost $2,000. Yes. <laughs> I would just, you know, have no appreciation for that, but all of the emotional appreciation for the sappy gesture and just be so great. Maybe we should make a thing for Patreon about this. Yeah. Simon, Simon doesn't realize that it's like that much money until Penny's like, uh, bro. That is like platinum. <laughs> uh-huh, exactly. <sighs> yeah. What else do you have here? Uh, I think sort of talking about expensive things that Baz would give Simon. I spent a hilarious amount of time today trying to figure out what kind of sweater Simon is wearing from Baz. He just says a Scandinavian sweater. I just sent you a link in our chat. And after some research into what the fuck a scandinavian sweater might be it's from what i could tell usually along the lines of uh a sweater that has a lot of them have like a weird snowflake stripe kind of across the chest the one that i the one that i found was of course i think a couple hundred bucks because trying to find expensive sweaters (laughs) scandinavian sweaters is difficult that sweater is hot and baz would totally wear it yeah trying to find one that i'm like what would baz wear took me a minute I appreciate your dedication to finding a black one. Yeah. Oh, of course. I'm like, (laughs) he's not wearing a like blue and red and white fucking snowflake sweater. No, but I think he would wear like an emerald green one, maybe if the pattern on it was low key enough. 
Yeah. It also helped that the model wearing this sweater was attractive. And I'm like, yep, yeah, that's great. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we'll put it in the show notes for people who want to gaze, gaze of the sweater that I found. Uh, my next thing, it was just about this club bar that they find themselves in, which actually reminded me of a club I used to go to in my party girl days where the first level was a like fancy ish sushi bar and then in the basement they had this very funny minimalist black dance floor and bar it was always just full of drunk gay party kids uh it was good times but I'm kind of like it's a little bit reminds me of that I mean minus obviously the like super dark well actually it was pretty dark there were not lights in the ceiling there were lights on the floor or on the side it was very dark and I'm like, oh, I would go to this bar. <laughs> I think it's what I'm trying to say. I also, for very different reasons, was like, I would go to this bar. I just was really drawn to how quiet it was. It was like, oh, you have private, only private booth seating, which means that I would be able to like pay attention to whoever I was there with because my sensory processing issues make it impossible if I'm in like any noisy space and then the basement where apparently it's like a club the electronic music is so quiet as to be almost unhearable i was like this is great (laughs) i would love to go play pool here i feel like ideally this would all this would now be my ideal space where it's like yeah you can play pool or like chill in like a booth and like someone's just playing cool music at a reasonable sound level (laughs) yeah oh kids never grow up (laughs) although i guess my issue with that has actually been perpetual but i think i just minded less when i was young like not being able to pay attention to what people were saying to me yeah uh all right so my last thing is simon observes that the kind of basement area seems to be like the less well-off vampires which i mean i guess compared to like however rich looking everyone looked upstairs definitely makes sense and you know we see nico being sort of a looking a little worn around the edges himself but like bombay sapphire is not bottom shelf alcohol so at least you're not totally at like the bottom shelf level you're just not ordering i don't know a bottle of like some small batch whatever that's like 300 dollars a bottle or some shit yeah do you feel like speculating about what is happening with the like different classes of vampires or whatever that's taking place in this bar i guess what i was thinking is that simon is able to observe a like higher class looking person so i would speculate that those are like vampires who are coming there with other vampires to hang out or if maybe they have like a non-vampire companion they're bringing it there to this bar whatever and i think the upper parts being more of a like safe vampire social club bar area i think that in this giant basement which simon like can't really even sense other people or like kind of what's going on is sort of where like if there are vampires feeding off people and not killing them which i think these vampires are doing for the most part uh they're probably downstairs okay sort of like multi-level gay bars the shady the like less legal things are happening in the basement (laughs) so it really is just a matter of what you feel like doing and simon is applying some sort of like 
wealth lens to it but it really is like what the fuck would what interest would nico have in like putting on a posh suit instead of his punk rock suit which simon is like his suit is like popping stitches and it looks cheap and it's like simon that is a look like nico is making an intentional stylistic choice that could be a designer (laughs) suit from oh my god what is a designer's name who does that anyway there's a designer that's famous for like having blazers where there's like giant cuts in the back or like it looks like it's been sewn together incorrectly but that is that is the look right and it's very expensive (laughs) i feel like i feel like nico shops at thrift stores like because he's punk and not because he has to or whatever you know yeah if he turned around there's probably like a sex pistols patch on the back of that blazer What if it's like one that Fiona gave him? Oh God! <laughs> you have to go make it. I'm sad. sorry. I'm just like, oh no, feelings. Are <laughs> Damn. Uh, also, this is clearly where Nico is doing his whatever questionably legal uh, business that he is involved right. in. Yeah. Speaking of that, that's what I want to talk about when we talk about Nico in the next segment. So, shall we move there? We should move. Yeah. Welcome to I See a Little Silhouette of a Man, where we talk about character development. And we've met Nico, officially. Yeah. And we learn, right, like, he has a job, and it's making shady deals. And I don't know. I was sort of like, why do you need a job? Because he has to buy blood from a butcher? Because he doesn't have teeth? I don't know. I mean, it does It does strike me. Because, I mean, Nico mentions there's not a lot of avenues for him as a defang vampire and a mage without a wand. But I'm like, there's the whole normal world. Right, exactly. Get a job as, like, a stock person <laughs> at whatever the UK Walmart is on the night shift. And, like, I don't know. Dental technology has gone a long way. You could, like... If you're really feeling uh, subconscious about your missing things. But yeah, I mean, maybe this is just keeping him connected to the magical world, you know, in some sense. Though it it is hard, it is hard for me to get a hold of, like, how many of the vampires are like Nico, who kind of already in the world of mages. Right. I, I feel like it's not a lot. I think he might be exceptional. I guess I sort of was wondering, because the way he phrased it sort of made it sound like having a job was, I guess, sort of normal amongst vampires. And so, but that seemed weird to me, because it's like, well, if you don't have to have a job, why would you? Sort of. I mean, I guess if they're maybe trying to blend in with normals, though. I mean, it's kind of like, I don't know where else they would go. Thinking of it, like, logistically, if you're a vampire in the 21st century in london like you're not necessarily hanging out in one of the fancy historical cemeteries you know it's kind of like right 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 you have a flat somewhere <laughs> gotcha I so i guess i was sort of just thinking about it with buffy as my framework where i'm like well they would just kill whoever had the flat and then live there until 
someone came to like evict them or whatever and then move somewhere else. But if they are trying to keep a lower profile than that, then I guess it makes sense that they would not do that. Yeah. Because real cities don't have a like endlessly replenishing population the way that Sunnydale, California does. So I guess the the only thing that I had about Nico was he tells Simon and Bez that the reason he didn't take that he didn't try to be a go between for the uh, finding vampires for the Watford attack is because Eb is at Watford and he's like I would never you know bring death to her door unless she asked and then I was like how quickly do you think Nico offered to make that Eb also a vampire. I think he did it before he turned. I think he wanted her to go with him. Yeah. I was like, I kind of felt bad for him that like none of what he wanted turned out. I know. No, no vampire fangs. No, no wand. And I'm like, this seems like, this seems excessive. It does. And it makes me be like, if there was any fucking information in this world about vampires, Nico probably would have made a different choice because they also like don't actually live forever which was his goal and i think if he had had access to more information he probably would not have opted to take this route and i'm like this is a failure of your society to value other magical people yeah it's kind of like when you have abstinent only sex ed and it's like cool giving people less information doesn't mean they're not gonna do it they're just gonna they're going to do these things and have no idea about what they're doing or it's like, you know, potential after effect. Right. Yeah, actually, I think that's probably a really good analogy. Because <laughs> you're right. I mean, if, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't seem like, I mean, if you told mages about vampires, it is unlikely that like a whole lot of them are going to go off and be like, I'm become a vampire. No, I mean... For lots of reasons, right? Like, people enjoy going out in the daytime, and people enjoy not having to kill other people to survive, and, you know, lots of people want to have kids, and, like, there's tons of reasons to not be a vampire, and if the main appeal is the idea of immortality, and you can give people... The information that you wouldn't actually gain immortality by becoming a vampire then like you would actually prevent future nikos right yeah exactly uh you said you had stuff about simon uh just a few things i don't remember if we got the explanation about his name in earlier chapters no this is the first time this is the first time we get a little bit about where the name simon snow comes from which is also very sad. Somehow so tragic. Because he, like, doesn't know. Also straight out of the tragic backstory of one Tom Riddle, too. I know, I was about to say that. <laughs> Someone cared enough to give him a name, but not enough to stick around for him. And yet Simon is still too pure for this world. Uh, did you have anything for Simon? I do. I was just thinking about that, though, like, especially because we had that conversation with Nora. Okay, so so listeners who don't listen to The Gaily Prophet, we had a conversation with a um, death row mitigation specialist on our Harry Potter podcast about what interventions could have changed things 
in the life of Voldemort to like make him not end up where he was and also like about why we should have empathy for him even though he ended up the way that he did and so I'm sort of thinking about what what about Simon's life like the mage sucks the same way Dumbledore sucks but just like with Harry and Dumbledore the mage intervenes in a pseudo caring and fatherly way in Simon's life at a pivotal time right and Tom Riddle never had that in any way like he never had an adult stepping in and even like claiming to meaningfully care about him yeah and I I feel like that's probably a really big deal yeah I don't know I feel like it's like hard to stress the importance of when you're like coming from a piece of childhood trauma an adult who is like I'm gonna be on your side I think that's I feel like you can't like quantify that because it's just it, it gets important and you just like don't know how that's gonna like ripple out to the rest of your life you know mm-hmm. so yeah try to be on kids in kids corners be on their team yeah totally um so I had that about Simon and then I have I have this here even though it's like kind of part of the sexy section but like it felt more feelingsy so I put it here the part where Simon tells Baz that he's not a vampire and then is like crying because Baz is crying is <laughs> so much yeah it's just like and like Baz is so confused but it's like I've definitely done a similar thing in an emotional moment where it's just like I'm just crying because you're upset <laughs> and like you just need for me to tell you <laughs> what's happening actually I feel like overall the experience of Baz's breakdown as seen through Simon's eyes is just a really excellent piece of writing because it's like we know before maybe even Simon consciously clocks it what's happening. But he's just like, but when he does, he's like, oh, fuck. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Because all of a sudden it's like, we're in the woods, the trees are on fire, and you're flammable. Uh, what are you doing? Yeah. Yeah, that, the, him say, when Baz is like, I'm a vampire, and Simon's like, you're not. Because we're in Simon's head, we know that he he means it even though he understands that it's technically false it's meaningfully true you know what i mean like he is a vampire in so far as he like has vampirism or whatever but in terms of how everyone in this world thinks about vampires and how the idea of his own being a vampire is being held by baz it is not meaningfully correct to say that Baz is a vampire. Like, Baz's understanding of what that means is wrong. Right. And I don't know. It just, like, it just, I love Simon so much. I just think he's such a good person. But this moment made me fall even more in love with Simon, where I'm just like, you're so great. Yeah. I know. It's like, and just Simon trying to be, like, coax Baz out of this moment to be like, Haha, ha, remember when we, 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 we were enemies and you said that you wanted an audience before you took me out? So let's not do this whole lighting yourself on fire in the woods thing. Let's not. I was like, oh, you're trying so hard. I know, he is trying so hard. He's really doing a great job, too. 
yeah just too pure for this world yeah Welcome to Face the Truth, where we talk about politics and things that are fucked up. Like the mage not thinking that killing vampires is murder. Yeah, let's talk about this. Let's talk about it. It's like, the mage doesn't think that. And I feel hard-pressed for me to think that the coven would also think that it is. Like, they're just like, oh, you're just getting rid of some dark creatures. It's like, no, they're people. They are people. Yep. What, like, what are, you, what are you guys, what are you guys doing with your ridiculous not loves? I'm sorry. I'm going to take us, like, completely out of everything for a second. I just realized my brain being like, other magical creatures that are also people includes goblins. We talked about how goblins remind us of Lorne from Angel. Rainbow Rowell turns out really likes the Buffy universe. Goblins are totally modeled actually after Lorne from Angel. Oh my god! (laughs) Welcome to ADHD life, everyone! (laughs) Well, you're so right. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yep. Yep. Exactly. 110%. (laughs) I feel like there's, like, a bunch of neurotypical people listening right now who are like, what the fuck? Like, is that really what that's like? And it's like, this is what my brain is like 100% of the time. I'm having 12 different conversations in my head while having the one conversation that I'm having with Jesse at any (laughs) given moment. (laughs) (sighs) (sighs) But yes, I agree with you. I don't think that the coven considers killing vampires to be murder any more than than goblins or i don't know whatever other chimeras or other magical creatures but like i think goblins are people too yeah clearly especially since like lauren is like one of the best characters on on angel i don't think that like attitude wise i don't think the goblins here are bottles after lauren lauren would never eat a commoner in a bathroom in a non-sexual way (laughs) yeah I feel like I'm actually very curious about, because I feel like Simon brings up a bunch of questions about the coven. He's just like, wait, these vampires are just hanging out? What? And I'm like, what an excellent question that is, Uh Simon. Because clearly, I mean, like, the maid definitely knows where the vampires are at. And Fiona has a sense of where the vampires are at. And so probably other magic people know, too. But it's just sort of like open but also, secret. Do they? Because we did learn earlier in the book that at least both Simon and Baz think that the mage drove all of the vampires out of England after the Watford attack, the Watford hmm. tragedy. So Simon's confusion, I think, should be even bigger than it is, where it's like, wait a second, we've been fed this story that he drove all of the vampires out of England. Like, what are these vampires doing here? Right, and then like also like what sort of purpose does it serve to a ma- to to for the mage to be like I have murdered all of the vampires, hmm, which actually makes the bit where Baz is basically threatening to just like compel Nico to talk is like, I mean, who's gonna know? Isn't that just the best question? Is the are these illegal spells somehow trackable? I don't know. 
And like, if you're doing it to a person who is a vampire, it's like, they're not going to call up the coven and be like, hey, yo, uh, so I got com- compelled illegally. Can you all do something about this? It's not going to happen. Right. Which must mean that that it's somehow like traceable. But how would that even work? Yeah, it's and it seems strange because I feel like, I mean, at this point, we don't get any kind of sense that you can track the magic that people are doing. No. I mean, it works. Simon is like, oh, wow, we should not do these illegal, dangerous things. And it's like, you actually probably could have gotten away with it, but I'm glad you didn't. Yeah. (laughs) I feel like, well, I guess I don't know. I think that Simon probably has moral quandaries about the idea of compelling someone, but also if doing a compelling spell is dangerous to the caster, Simon also is deeply concerned with Baz's safety. Yeah. I think in general, he was not about to be like, he was going to put his foot down about that regardless, but yeah. 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 That's actually my only thing here. Do you have other stuff here? I have a question if the mage only killed vampires who were also mages, but we don't know how many people that would be. Or if we, or we don't know if they were, but like, does it have anything potentially to do with Simon's perception that a bunch of them have money, like on the sort of like top level of this bar? Is it a payout? Mm. I think that the trade was you kill or like you go to Watford and attack the nursery and like I grant you safety. Mm-hmm. So... At least to some extent, I think yes. Which I guess worked in his favor because it seemed like mages were already bigoted about vampires. So no one's going to bet. So no one's going to be like, oh, they're gone. Cool. Right, right, right. Yeah, definitely. Once again, I'm reminding you that the mage is the worst. Yep. Welcome to Caught in a Landslide, where we rant about stuff. Kick us off, please. Nico generally says that um, vampires need to be invited, I would assume, anywhere, like a, like a private whatever. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, how does Baz get around this? Like, if he's invited someone's house, like, he can't probably go in unless he's invited. You think the invitation has to happen at the physical location? Is that what you're saying? I don't know. I guess it's also my Buffy lens coming through. But because, yeah, I guess I don't remember if the mage just invited the other vampires when they, to attack Watford, just be like, have at it or whatever. Because I could see Baz during the like rich person thing to be like, I need a formal like written invitation or I'm not going to come to your function. Sorry. I mean, I think that if, for instance, dev for the first time was like come over to my house during summer holidays that that would be enough for baz to be able to Mm -hmm. go even if that happened at school and then the actual like figuring out when their hangout was going to be happen later Mm -hmm. it would be very awkward other than yeah i mean we do see him have to wait for an invitation at penny's house later yeah that's true I don't know how it works. It, I do think it's a little bit weird that Watford as a whole counts as somewhere that you need to be invited because I would think it would just be the dorms and like maybe even individual dorms 
but that something like I mean just the school grounds and then the nursery like those are in quasi-public spaces no one lives there but those are quasi but aren't those quasi-public spaces surrounded by a moat and a drawbridge yes uh, I think that makes it count as like a private area. And so I think that you would need an invitation to get in. Probably for the express purposes of making sure that vampires couldn't stroll in and start like eating the students. True, right. There's all the protection spells around it and stuff like that. So even if it might not otherwise count, you're probably right that it would have some sort of extra vamp protection. It does... <sighs> Does sort of make me laugh a little bit because I think that some of the like old Ivy Leagues like Harvard or Harvard and Yale like they have part of the campus like enclosed in like a wall or a gate that like that they can close because fancy Ivy League pretentious bullshit, mm-hmm. which might make it very hard if you're like a vampire trying to just like stroll through campus and you're like oh I can't because I'm not invited in. Huh. So interesting. Yeah, I don't. I don't actually know the history of why those places are enclosed, but it's, it's real weird. Hmm. Got to keep out the riffraff out <laughs> of your fancy college built by slave labor. Good times. <laughs> There's like more individual fucked up things associated with like a small area at. Things like Ivy League colleges and at maybe any other hot point in the world, like layers through the ages, right? Where it just like, it hasn't stopped. It's just like continued from its inception into perpetuity. Uh, If there were things like in this world where buildings hold memories and things like that, I feel like places like Harvard and Yale would just be like magical cesspools of like just terrible things all the time. This is this is basically what Ninth House is about. It's about terrible magic magic at Yale and terrible rich people who do magic there. And is this a book? Uh, yeah, it's a book. I will give you a warning. It has like a thousand and one content warnings. Okay. I found it very, very good, even with a lot of the content warnings that I could have done without. But but anyway, I love anything about rich people being the worst. So. <laughs> ADHD life. (laughs) (laughs) Um, All right. All right. Look, okay. Here's my, it's not a rant. It's a question. I have a question for you. This is my only thing in this section. Jesse, why did the line, Nico laughs like nothing matters, Eb laughs like everything does, make me literally start weeping? What is it? <laughs> because everything about that is sad. I was like crying and being like, why? Why am I crying right now? I don't, but it just. But just like, just like to like sort of just fold Nico's nihilism and just like the terrible tragedy that he's been through and sort of fold it with also Eb's tragedy uh, of, you know, and then just being like, They're, like, just so apart right now, but they're also not. And just for, like, Simon to have made that connection between, like, the way that they deal with their trauma and grief is just very upsetting. And also just, like, it doesn't have to, it didn't have to be this way. I know. It's sad. I know. (laughs) 
Welcome to I'm Just a Poor Boy, where we talk about ways that you can support this podcast. Uh, This week, I'm going to talk to you about our Patreon, because we are officially uh, coming out of our winter depression hibernation and blooming as the flowers do (laughs) into the spring sunshine. And there's lots of cool stuff that you can get. By joining our Patreon, like early and extended episodes of this podcast, and now officially also The Gaily Prophet comes out early and with the bonus content intact. Uh, plus we have a Buffy podcast. Which is Patreon exclusive. It is. That's good times. I write a monthly link roundup, which usually has nothing to do with anything we talk about on the podcast. It is just... Whatever uh, random things that I am into that seems cool for folks to read or watch or buy from or whatever, whatever weird thing I'm into that month is usually goes in the link roundup. So this most recent one was stocked with many an excellent gif also. So (laughs) (laughs) gifts, gifts and book recommendations for folks. Jesse also writes fantastic fanfic for our patreon and we have a newish seg or segment whatever it is a newish offering on patreon called anyway the wind prose where jesse writes short stories and they're incredible also so you know check it out yeah and uh just a casual reminder that this here podcast is edited produced mixed I'm thinking I'm forgetting whatever else thing that you do for the podcast part. I That's what I say. I don't even know what mixed means. It's just what everyone says. But all of the behind the scenes stuff for this podcast. <laughs> yeah, it's done, it's done by Lark. Uh, we do not have a secret team of more people. It is literally me and Lark, mostly Lark, as this is his actual job. So uh, any support that you want to give to you uh, independent queer media goes directly into the pockets of uh queer folks mainly us (laughs) (laughs) when you order merch from our merch shop the envelope that you received has been licked by the tongue with which i am speaking (laughs) (laughs) Uh, yeah 100 percent homegrown independent And these are the only ads you're going to hear, which is just us asking you for money. And, uh, yeah. Now we're going to go talk about sexy stuff. Woohoo! Send shivers down my spine. Welcome to Sends Shivers Down My Spine, where we talk about sexy stuff. What do you have first? Just Simon basically thinking about how hot Baz is when he is just chill in the face of danger. And I'm like... I agree with Simon. (laughs) (laughs) It's both precious and also like, yes, that is objectively hot. Yeah, my first thing is in all caps, God, Baz is so hot. What does Simon say? He gets like more chill and level-headed or whatever the more stress he's under or something like that i used to think it was annoying when it was towards me and now it's awesome i'm like i'm sure exactly. you do think it's awesome. <laughs> and 
he gets less ruffled the more he's threatened is actually what he says yeah yeah and we can't forget that that baz is wearing a expensive expensive suit Mm -hmm. like thousand upon thousands of dollars slash pounds suit so yeah everything about baz right now was incredibly hot through the whole through the whole chapter honestly all right tell me if you agree i thought i thought it was really like a very nice and somehow very sexy detail that baz knocks with the back of his hand I did not notice that, but that is a really good detail. Like he raps like this, which is so much cooler than this. It's very like arrogantly casual. Which right, I feel it's like, like I don't often... even give a fuck if you answer this door when you knock like that. <laughs> yeah, basically. No, like everyone's like, okay, I have to change the way I knock on doors. That's sort of part of the reaction that I had was like, okay, I'm never knocking with the front of my hand again. <laughs> oh my God. I have to tell you how uh, I had to like learn how to change my knock because because people kept telling me that I'd knock like a police officer. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> so, because it's very just like direct and loud. I'm like, I need you to hear me. And then I finally had to ask my coworkers. I'm like, okay, but like, so what do you do? And they're like, I do a like, like a, like a not, like an arrhythmic knock to make it not sound like super aggressive. Mm-hmm. And so that's what I do. <laughs> that's hilarious though. That's really funny. Yeah. <laughs> Rufio's having a dream. Can you hear Rufio having a dream? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) He's having a great time. Tender, tender, marshmallow, birthday boy Rufio. Yeah. Yeah. What else? What else? I mean, I'm still on Baz, so. Oh, yeah. Everything I have is on Baz. (laughs) Okay, great. Also thinking about casually sexy things, which is uh, Baz's power move of lighting a cigarette with his wand in a, like, den of vampires. Oh, my God. (laughs) It's so hot. Yes. Oh, my God. I know it's, like, not really PC to be, like, smoking is sexy, but, like, I'm sorry, smoking is sexy. (laughs) I grew up in the 90s. I just, (laughs) this is what television has ingrained in my brain. Um, I think that Baz even has an emotional breakdown in a sexy way. It's it's the speeding through the streets of London in his sports car. Is that what's is that what's doing it for you? Jags are like not particularly sexy cars, but like yes, the speeding and but also I think a lot of it was the crying without like wiping his eyes. Just like just letting it is like if you don't, like, take into account the snot factor, that's, like, very somehow hot to me. Where I'm like, look at, yeah, you're so just <laughs> poised, even well, just completely melting down. Yeah, no, I, I believe that. Does he have a vintage Jag, or am I making that up? I don't know, I think it just says his father's Jaguar. Oh, I guess I assumed it was vintage, because those are the ones that look the best. Because, yeah, in general, Jaguars don't look good. They kind of just look like cars. I feel like every time I've seen one and it's been like, this is a Jaguar. I'm like, really? She just looks like a sedan. I like don't know much about cars, but I do feel like Jags usually have a like very specific kind of weird wavy-ish hood, I think. I don't know. The only cars I care about are the vintage ones because they look outrageous and it's great. What else do you have in this section? Uh, Simon's line, I've never turned my back on you and I'm not starting now. I 
just was sort of like a fan myself moment. It's like, mm-hmm. I mean, really that whole scene where he's like, like kneeling in the snow and he's like cupping Baz's face with his hands and they're surrounded by fucking like a ring of fire. Yeah. And finally, welcome to Kiss Kill Improvise. This week, Jesse will be providing me with options. I am. I am. All right. Your options today are from our punk rock trio of uh, Nico, Ebb, and Fiona. <sighs> wow. Rude. That's hard. <laughs> I'll give you easy ones. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, damn. Okay. Listen, there's not a lot of other characters happening in this chapter. No, no, it's fair. Don't apologize. (laughs) It's supposed to be hard. All right, here it is. I am going to kiss Eb because Eb is the kind of person that you should be with, regardless of how much you are attracted to terrible people. (laughs) So be a good boy. And I'm going to kiss Ab. <laughs> I am going to... See, I decided and now I'm questioning myself. I'm going to improvise with Nico because I think that Nico is a top. <laughs> I think that Fiona is a bottom, which is not compatible for me. Yeah. And therefore, I have to kill Fiona. I think that... Yeah. It's very sad. I I hate I hate to do it. <laughs> but yeah, no, you're right. Um, also, Nico has the hot vampire look going for him. Yeah, definitely as as close to, though weirdly, like I think that Spike is a bottom, but I think that Nico is a top. <laughs> oh yeah, no, which is interesting. Yeah, no, Spike is totally obviously a bottom. <laughs> <laughs> but that's for another podcast. <laughs> Excellent. All right. Okay. Is this just fantasy? Welcome to Is This Just Fantasy, where we talk about magic and science and magical science. I have a whole thing about like vampires biting but not killing here. I did like a bunch of math. So, Baz is convinced that if you get bit, you turn, right? If you get bit but don't die, you turn into a vampire. He's terrified of turning Simon into a vampire, even just from kissing. Mm-hmm. But, okay, so Baz is convinced of that. Assuming that that means that the vampires are then killing all of their victims, because Simon is like, all oh, those murders happening while we wait. If we assume that there are like 50 to 100 vampires in this vampire bar and that that's all that's all of the vampires in the UK or even just in London and they have to eat every day, which Baz says that they do, that would be 50 to 100 murders a day, which is between 18 and 36,000 murders a year. There are 8 million people in London, which is means that 2% of the population of the city would die every five years from vampire attacks. And like... As a point of comparison, in all of 2019, there were 145 murders in London. So it'd be like almost that many every two days if these vampires were each killing a person every day. Therefore, they must feed without killing people, right? 
But if Baz was correct, and every person that they fed off but didn't kill became a vampire because of the way that, like, exponents work or whatever, if we start with 50 vampires and they fed without killing every day, within 10 days there would be 102,000 vampires in London. (laughs) Which, like, just goes up from there. Like, the entire population of the world would be a vampire within, like, a year at at most it would probably be sooner than that i feel like this is zombie math but yes yeah right exactly it's like there there's there's just not enough vampires for this to be a fact and i kind of feel like they should recognize that yeah i mean i definitely thought it was both precious but a gross exaggeration for somebody to be like oh no they're all out murdering people yeah You know, I know that cities are full of crime, but I doubt, right, that all of these people are being murdered and showing up with these suspicious neck wounds and everyone's just like, eh. right. I don't know what's happening. Right. So I I super appreciate that math, though. That's pretty awesome. <laughs> you know, got a dedication <laughs> to my craft. They would definitely, it would definitely make sense for you to have either a circle of people you're feeding on or right you're either supplementing it with animal blood or i don't know you're somehow like taking blood from a blood bank or something like that i don't know i mean yes sure but i feel like if we think back to like olden olden times like there if if the options were kill or turn someone into a vampire and vampirism, I don't know, spontaneously came into being in, like, the 1600s, there would be no non-vampires left by 2015 when this book was set. Yeah. Baz is very incorrect about <laughs> Yeah, it's just, like, clearly they can feed without turning people. Or killing them. Right. So, this is a terrible analogy. I just kind of... <laughs> I just kind of imagine like someone just like drinking half of a, of a Capri Sun. I don't know why. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Uh, all right. It's me. Mm-hmm. All right. So I mentioned this at the very beginning of the episode, but it is. Okay. So number one, it is such a popular trope, especially on like television shows where you have your characters just refer to like the people around them by their last names, mm-hmm. which is what we're getting here. And, like, I don't know, most procedural shows, I feel like, have that. And, like, I mean, the X-Files is fucking known for this shit. And so it's, like, if this is a thing. In books, in movies, you have their characters referred to them by their last name. And then inevitably you have the moment where it's, like, actually, we're going to switch to going to a first name basis. And it's always just so poignant. So it's either, like, it's, like, the relationship is somehow moving forward in a way that's like much more intimate once you're like oh we're no longer on, a, on the last name basis we're on a first name basis mm-hmm. and maybe like someone is in trouble or it's like i'm finally like confessing my love to you or whatever so it just feels like simon is just kind of being like i think we should go to the, i think we should go to the next stage of our relationship and you should start calling me simon so yeah sorry i was gonna bring up a bunch more examples but i feel like it's so common i feel like whatever fandom people are in can I'm sure conjure as many examples of this as you can. Okay, so tell me if I'm misremembering. Is there a moment in Buffy where Spike says, Buffy, Slayer, 
are you okay? I think so. Is that the direction that he goes? Yeah, I can't envision what episode that was, but I do believe it happens. And yeah, and it's like you can like you you can notice definitely when, you know, Spike makes the switch from like Slayer to Buffy. But I like that in that moment, it's almost as if Slayer is like the more intimate term between them. Like he tries out Buffy and is like, you know what? Between us, me calling you Slayer actually is like more meaningful for me to ask you if you're okay. Which I just really appreciate because like you're totally right about how that trope is. And so the idea of like for them that being sort of switched is like nice to me. Okay, so this is actually also a trope because sometimes if you have a sort of ridiculous first name, like, say, Buffy, (laughs) it does make sense for people in, like, whatever kind of relationship to be like, I'm actually going to purposely not use your first name. (laughs) All right, have you watched Bones? Um, I have not watched Bones, but I did read the TV Tropes uh, section about how... David Boreanaz's character calls the lead Bones and never by her terrible first name. Exactly. And his first name is Celie and she calls him Booth even once they're married. They still call each other Booth and Bones. Yeah, that's the same thing actually also happens in the X-Files because Mulder's first name is Fox, which I always thought was a cool first name it as is, a weird animal lover. Is Mulder non-binary? <laughs> <laughs> I've not watched it enough time to make any hypothesis in either way but uh no his his given name in that show is fox and so he only ever goes by Mulder. even though i'm like okay but fox is a way cool name what the fuck dude yeah totally so what books did baz steal (laughs) it's research on vampires right that was the impression that i got maybe some like no, I guess if there was like old school occult stuff, he would have it. But if it was like normal world occult stuff, maybe he's just reading a very old copy of Dracula. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know. I guess I kind of assumed some kind of like weird occult books that he would not have in his home library. I don't, I mean, I don't know why, besides the fact that maybe there wouldn't be like magical books, I guess. Mm-hmm. But just like, I mean, cause I mean, there is a lot of uh, stuff written by, uh, written about vampires. I mean, in our world, people love, love them some vampires. That's true. Yeah. Maybe he stole Twilight. <laughs> He's reading Interview with a Vampire. Yeah. Which is for the record, much gayer than the movie. And I mean, people are like quite certain that Anne Rice is actually a vampire. <laughs> I don't know. She just spent, she just spent a period of years being a like weird born again Christian <laughs> and then went back to not being that and going back to writing like vampire erotic, <laughs> which Maybe I'm like trying to cure herself. <laughs> trying to cure her vampires. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Thank you for listening to this episode of Escape from Reality. Next time we're going to be reading chapter 61 and 62. Oh my God. Ah, It's going to be so great. Holy shit. It only took us a year to get to this point.
you know what? <laughs> That's not our fault. That is Rainbow Rowell's fault. Uh, the, the slowest of burns. <laughs> this podcast is a creation of Hashtag Ruthless Productions. And if you like it, you should check out our Harry Potter podcast, The Gaily Prophet. So you can currently find us at our website, thegailyprophet.com. We are on Twitter and Instagram at the Gailey Prophet. You can also find our uh, Buffy podcast. We are the Gayers only on Patreon. If you want to find me on the internet, you can follow me on Instagram at Lark Malachi. And my website is LarkMalachi.com, which is where you can get a tarot reading from me. You can follow me on Twitter at jesse underscore detroit or on instagram at live from detroit where i am often talking about birds (laughs) our show art is by theo julian forrester the music and our theme song is by kevin mcleod and the rest of the music is bohemian rhapsody by queen and until next time scottamoosh hello and welcome to escape from escape from <laughs> wow escape from reality that's what this podcast is right not to yes what the hell why would anyone want to escape to reality mm-hmm.